All right, good morning, everybody. This is Pastor Paul coming at you here from the home office at Four Oaks Church. It's Thursday morning, April 7th, 2022. We call these times Romans Rewind. We do that because we are, or call it that, because we come alongside or behind our preaching series in the book of Romans that we've been walking through on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks, and we pick out certain ideas and concepts to look at in a more in-depth way. And we have been looking at this idea this week of predestination. And the reason that we've been considering this is because Paul considers it, right? And let's, let, let's be reminded of what Paul says um, about this really crucial theological topic, all right? So he says in Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now remember, Paul doesn't just decide willy-nilly out of thin air to talk about predestination because he thinks it's going to be a cool topic to debate. Um, there's a pastoral context here, right? He's addressing a group of believers in Rome that are facing a very uncertain future in terms of their earthly lives. I mean, they have been tossed out of Rome. They've been thrown together as a Greek and Jews. They're, there's been division. They're under the, 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 the boot of Rome, so to speak. And Paul is really wanting them to ultimately know where their ultimate hope is grounded. And, and he tells them, hey, whatever's going on in your life, God is at the core of it working it for your good. And you can be certain of this because he foreknew you. He predestined you before the foundations of the world, as Ephesians 1 tells us. What we've been trying to do this week is to sort of look at some of the concerns, philosophical objections, misunderstandings that some might have about this doctrine. And so if, so Monday, we talked about this idea of prayer. A lot of times we can think that because God is sovereign, then why would we pray? Um, doesn't the sovereignty of God or predestination discourage prayer? And we said, no, in fact, it does quite the opposite, right? Because if God isn't sovereign, why would we pray at all? The fact that we do pray, we're inclined to pray, we have this instinct to pray for the lost and for other situations, communicates, does it not, that we know God is decisive. We know his will is ultimate and that unless he gets involved, then hearts aren't going to be changed. And so we pray. Um, Tuesday, we looked at this idea of sovereignty and uh, evangelism, that the sovereignty of God predestination does not preclude us sharing the gospel. Again, we, we don't want to import our philosophical categories onto the Bible. The Bible is very clear God is sovereign. God is very clear also that whosoever believes in him shall be saved. And that it's our job as believers not to figure out what God is doing sovereignly, not to figure out who are his chosen, who are his elect. Our job is simply to share the gospel with everyone possible because people cannot come to know Christ unless they hear the gospel. And one of the ways that, that God accomplishes his sovereign purpose, of course, is through our prayers and evangelism. And so, so again, it's our job to share the gospel. It's God's job to save people. In fact, many of the great church planning missionary movements of the last 2,000 years have been spurred by groups of people who were deeply rooted in this idea of the sovereignty 
of God. So that's what we looked at Tuesday. Yesterday, we examined this idea of free will. Well, you know, if if this is true that God predestines, God is sovereign, does that make us puppets? Or does that mean we don't have a will? And we again said, no, that's that's a misconception. We do have a will. And we're free to choose to do many things. But one thing that our will is bound up in is sin, and that left to our own devices, we will not willingly choose God. And we looked at all sorts of verses to back this up. We talked about John 8 and the reason the Pharisees wouldn't believe is that they couldn't believe. They were, they were children of the devil. We talked about 1 Corinthians 2, that, that natural man cannot understand the things of God. They're, they're spiritually indiscernible to him. Again, John chapter 3, unless one is born of the Spirit, we can't even see the kingdom of God, much less enter. So it's not so much a matter of us not having a will. It's just a matter that our will chooses in accordance with its nature. And when we are apart from Christ, when the Spirit of God is in us, we don't choose God because we don't want to choose God. doesn't mean we can't know things about God or learn things about God. It just means at our fundamental heart level, um, we, we will not choose God of our own volition. We need the Spirit of Christ, to open our eyes to the beauty and wisdom and mercy of Christ and love of Christ, and then we embrace him in an irresistible sort of way. Now, today, I want to look at this um, idea of assurance, okay? And I just want to say a few things about this, um, but, but oftentimes, one of the great struggles of many Christians, again, is not, is the gospel true, but is it true for me? On what basis can I be certain that I know Christ? On what basis can I be certain that I have assurance of my salvation? Now, we know all throughout the scriptures, it speaks to this idea that the, the, the obedience and fruit of our lives is not what saves us. It's what the evident, it is the evidence of our being saved. And that's fundamentally true. And, and so it doesn't mean that works aren't important. It just means that we need to understand in what context works are important. As Martin Luther said, we're not saved by, we are saved by faith alone, but we are not saved by a faith that is alone. Genuine saving faith, James tells us, will result in fruit, in good works. And we can look at those and that, that, helps provide a means of assurance, okay? Now, as important as that is, what we need to be careful of is that we don't make the observance or our assessment or observation of our works the ultimate grounds of our assurance. They, they, they can provide assurance of a certain kind, right? We can look at God's grace in our lives, see how we've changed, see how we've borne fruit, and be encouraged by that while at the same time recognizing okay, that our assurance is ultimately not based upon our good works. Those are just evidence. Our ultimate assurance is based upon what Jesus has done for us. And ultimate assurance has to come by looking to that, meditating on that, being drawn to that, remembering that. Because, and this is why predestination is important, if ultimately it's man's will that is decisive, okay, in choosing God, then ultimately it's man's will that's going to be decisive in rejecting God, right? 
So, so if you say that my will is decisive and it's by my own volition that I've chosen Christ, if I can freely choose my salvation apart from Christ, okay, with no divine intervention, then it just rec- it just it just follows, does it not logically, that I can also lose that salvation. If I can freely choose, I can freely lose. This is why it's important to have biblical categories on these things. Yes, we do choose Christ, but it's because God regenerates our hearts and opens our eyes to him and irresistibly draws us to himself. So then where does our ultimate assurance come? Our ultimate assurance comes in Christ himself, what he has done for us. And this is, again, what verse 30 gets at. And let's read it again. In those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul is speaking of a certainty. Paul is not speaking of a possibility. Paul is very clear in saying those that God predestined, he is then faithful in his sovereign timing to call to himself. And as he calls people to himself irresistibly, opens their hearts, and where faith is exercised and trusting in the beauty and glory of Christ, God justifies that person. Well, once justified, that person cannot be relinquished from the grip of God or condemnation or, uh, or, or the, the verdict of not guilty. They can't slide back into condemnation. It is a certainty that they will be glorified. And again, this certainty, this assurance goes all the way back before the foundations of the world where those whom God predestined, he called. So, so really our lesson today is, is, is again, when we think about our assurance of Christ, where are we ultimately going? We're ultimately going to Jesus and what he has done for us, his objective work on the cross on our behalf. Um, so the song that we sing, okay, um, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. He made an end of all my sins. So we ultimately don't look into our own hearts, right? Um, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Okay, tomorrow we'll be back Friday for our final devotional of the week. But until then, let me pray. Lord, if there are any that are particularly struggling with their assurance of salvation, Lord, give them the great promise that when we are faithful to confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and nothing can change that. And so, Father, Lord, our ultimate assurance and confidence is, is thankfully um, built upon the hope of knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.